This is number 10 of our victories in the valley. 10 weeks, one after the other. We never missed one. And most of you came to them. And thank you for coming. And those of you who came when you could. And uh, this session and season of uh, Bible studies are over for the moment. And I would like to thank you for your encouragement. And those that texted me and those that rang me and those that spoke to me. Uh, for for bringing the word of God. Nothing like it. And so we have been enjoying, and I know I have had a pleasure in preparing them, and I trust that you had in, in, in listening to them. So we'll be praying about, in the new year, about uh, something else. We need to get the words from the Lord and bring the words that the people need uh, in these days and hours in which we live, but we're back at Genesis at the First Kings chapter nineteen again tonight to finish off this tenth Bible study on the person of or a portion of the part of the life of uh, Elijah, the great prophet Elijah. So we're going to read some verses, and then we're turning to First Corinthians ten, and we're going to. Read some verses there uh, as well. Chapter 19 of First uh, Kings. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as life of one of them tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. It is enough. Many times we have said that. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there's another behold, and it's no wonder there's two beholds in there, because when you read what happened, there was a cake baking on the coals. That's in the midst of the Arabian desert, where there was, wouldn't have been a house for 50 miles. And a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord, and that's in capital, Lord's in capital, the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him. Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb. The Mount of God. Now I want you to mark that place with something in your Bible and that we'll be turning back to it. At first Corinthians chapter ten. First Corinthians chapter ten and verse seven to verse thirteen. First Corinthians ten verses seven. To 13. The context here is the children of Israel are in the wilderness. They're coming out of Egypt. And I want you to notice in these verses that there's four neithers. Four neithers and four temptations. And as we read that, you'll pick that up. Verse 7. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. 
Here's the third one. Neither let us, and here's the first tempt, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the servants. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for example and they are written for admonition upon whom the end of the world are come. Wherefore let, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. I should say those five temptations, tempt or tempted or temptation in that chapter, in those verses. So we ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word and just keep your Bible there, here at this Corinthian and we'll be turning back later to the first Kings chapter nineteen. Many of the scholars and commentators and preachers that I consulted regarding Elijah the prophet under the juniper tree Many of them quoted that verse in 1 Corinthians 10 and 12. Let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Now that is a very common verse and often quoted. And I'm sure all of you are familiar with it. And how true it is. How true of a warning it is to all of us to make sure that we don't fall and take heed lest we stand. Although I don't think that it refers very much to Elijah. I don't think Elijah was elated with egotistic pride or I didn't think, I don't think that he ever thought he was very high to be brought down. And I'm saying that because for eight, twelve, thirteen months he was fed with the old dirty ravens, the carrion bird, the worst bird, dirtiest bird on earth. And I'm saying that because he had the bag of the dying widow to live. And I'm saying that also because he said he was no better than his father's. That doesn't sound to me of a man who thought he was too high or too haughty. We're talking here about the great revolutionist, the great reformer, the great revivalist. And I don't think there's any sense of him thinking that he ever stood tall. His name means Jehovah is strength. And here we see him fatigued and depressed and defeated under this juniper tree. He is overcome with weariness and weakness uh, and exhaustion in all his activities and bodily, he's bodily weak and mentally weak. How sad it would be How sad it would be that night as he lay under the glow of the sinking Arabian sun. How sad it would be to see that text nailed to the juniper tree. Let him that thinketh he stands take heed lest he fall. That wouldn't be very wise counselling. And I don't think it fits this man. Surely it would add to his depression. 
Surely it would be like rubbing in the thick. It's not an eulogy, an eulogy that you write over him, but it's not an epitaph either. Or rather that, they'd have to write it over many of us. It's not the end. That text would give you the impression that it's over, it's finished, he's done. Half a text is half a truth. That's the text that takes him from the highest mountain and the mighty blessing of this man of God to the lowest valley. It takes him from Carmel to the Arabian desert about 110 miles, but it doesn't leave him there. God doesn't leave him there. And he doesn't leave us there. There's victory in the valley. Deep and dark and awful as it may be, and hopeless as it may be, God does not leave us there, and we must not put that text over this man. And we must never walk away from any soul nodding her head and saying, It's over. It's no good. Poor Elijah. What a mighty man he was, but oh, look. And only, he'd only, only God raised him up. He'd only be known for the juniper tree, and all the rest would go in and be banished. I was watching uh, Nicky Cruz. just this morning on the internet. Listen to you hear this. Nicky Cruz, he, I heard he's still living, he's 80-something. He was brought up in the slums of New York. Nineteen of a family. He never knew a day from he was three and a half to nine, till nine years of age that he was beaten and hammered. Never a day. His father and mother were witches. And the mother anointed him as the son of Satan. He joined the mafia and he murdered men and women. Chopped their fingers off and their hands off. Now he didn't say this in his testimony, but this is truth. The authorities on the welfare and the police could do nothing with them. They all give up. And leading psychiatrists in New York all agreed that he should be locked up and never let out. With no hope. Until David Wilkerson come with Teen Challenge. And when David Wilkerson came to New York... He went into the worst of these boys and he engaged Nicky Cruz. And he worked with them for maybe well over a year and he hit Wilkerson and he stabbed Wilkerson, but he kept coming back to him. He kept coming back to him. And he got saved. Got saved. Gloriously and wonderfully saved. And probably one of the greatest evangelists of the last number of decades, thousands of souls came to him. And that book that he wrote, Run, Baby, Run, mighty story of what God done in the life of a man. Don't give up. Don't give up. It's not over. I'm glad old William Spence and Fermanagh didn't give up on me when I cursed him in the open air. 
Stephen Riddle's lad, his mother and father, didn't give up on him. Many of you are glad that your mother, your father, your preacher, your minister didn't give up on you. And we're not going to give up on Elijah. Let the doomsters and the dumpsters write epitaphs over men and over women and Christians too will write epitaphs over men and women and say there's no hope for them. They're done, they're finished, they're no use. They're relegated to hell and there's no use. And they don't even pray for them, they don't even think of them, they never give them a track, never worry about them. Some of the ministers are sitting in their mansions and their rocking chairs and the rock and rock and dot and dot and tick and dot and nothing else to do, but there's no concern for souls. It's all over the say to us. It's all over the tell us, just batten down the hatches and sit where you are and everything will just come to an end and just you bear out the storm and ride out the storm. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Word of God teaches me and the Word of God teaches me that there's hope and there's always hope and there's always going to be hope and there's a glorious hope of revival. I was thinking about the old servant, the old prophet, the old false prophet in Jeroboam's day who deceived the man of God and shed crocodile tears and said, Alas, my brother, alas, my brother, it's, oh, it's too bad, oh, thou rascal. I have news for you and I have news for anybody listening to me tonight that there's hope for Elijah. God's going to raise Elijah up and God's going to raise men up and he's going to take them off the streets. And he's going to use them in the revival that's coming. And in this meeting here tonight, God's going to take some of you young men and he's going to use you. Don't you let the devil tell you that you're no use. He's going to take Elijah, Elijah up again. He's going to, he's going to raise him up to face Ahab again. He's going to raise him up to commission two kings. He's going to raise him up to lay the mantle on Elisha. He's going to raise him up to see, see the waters part and be swept up in the chariot into heaven and come down again a thousand years later to the Mount of, a Mount of Transfiguration with, with Peter and John and Jesus. And he never died. Oh, God help us. For writing people off. Now you see this context, this text has to be put in its context. And that's why we're at 1 Corinthians tonight. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand... Take heed lest he fall. Now take comfort in this here. There has no temptation taken you, but such is as common to man. Now let me stop there. Elijah was just a man, subject to like passions as we were. He, he was just a common man. He was brought up in a way in the mountains of Tishbe, we're told that it was just a stone wall around his house. And he, he's come to the place there in 119, in, in, in 19 of, of Kings. He's come to the place there where he's under the juniper tree. He is juniperitis. And juniperitis is common to all men and women. You know what it's like to be under the tree. You know what it's like to be despondent and depressed and down? Of course we do. It's common, it's common to mankind and we all need a touch now and again. We all need a touch. Verse 13, there's no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But here's the wee phrase now. But God is 
faithful. But God, now notice the wee word, but God is. At this very moment, Elijah, God is faithful. Not that he was faithful, but he wa- and he was faithful. He was faithful, faithful to him with the birds and with the brook and with the barrel. But now, in the past, he was faithful. Listen, he was being faithful to me in the past. And he'll be faithful to me in the future. And he'll be faithful to me in the present. <laughs> now, in the dark valley. Now when he's down, he's not on the mountain top. Now he's down, he's cast low, down. But God is faithful to him in the valley. He faileth not. Hallelujah. He'll not fail your mother. He'll not fail your son. He can't. Faithful is he that calleth you, he will do it. Now here's a, you needn't turn to this, but here's a part of a psalm that I love. Listen to it. If my children forsake my word and break my statutes and keep not my commandments, I will visit them with the rod. Nevertheless, (laughs) nevertheless, My loving kindness will I not utterly take from them, nor suffer my faithfulness to fall, or my my covenant I will not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my mouth. And when the Lord Jesus says, I will never leave thee or forsake thee, he'll never change that. Never change. So you just hold on whatever the trial, whatever the storm is. When there were no ravens and there were no rivers. When there was no bread and there was no barn. Standing somewhere in the shadows. You'll find them. It was past the ravens. It was past the river. There's no ravens. There's no river. There's no widow. They're all long gone. But he's not gone. Standing somewhere in the shadows you'll find them. The one who cares and who understands. Now before we go back to Elijah and point out in the context, and that text must be kept in its context, you have to write under that text, God is faithful. Before we go back and look at that, the temptations that's mentioned here, tempt, temptation, tempted five times. Now, if you look at verse 9, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the serpents. That's tempted by, that's the devil's tempting. That's the same word used when our Lord Jesus was on the Mount of Temptation. The word tempt here is different from the other words, but I'm going to show you in a minute. The word tempt here is the word to despise and vehemently oppose and challenge. And that's what the devil did with the Lord on the Mount of, on the Mount of Temptation. And in verse 9, in the end of verse 9, it's, in that verse 9 it says, and also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. You, you remember the tempted the Lord, the children of Israel, this manna. That's what it's talking about here. This manna. And they mocked the manna, and they criticized the manna, and they challenged God. And because they challenged God, and they vexed God, they te- tempted God. And because they tempted him so much, he then uh, struck them down. And you know the story about the, about the serpents, and Moses uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. He destroyed them with the serpent. Sent the fiery serpent. But in verse 13 and onward, these are, these are, uh, this is a different word. This word here means, this, let me say the first one is the devil's tempting and this is God's tempting. God's not tempting. This word here is testing. 
You see, God never tempts anybody to sin. And we pray, and my mother never prayed with us or anybody, but you made us rip out the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be the name. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I always thought that, and I know many thought that, 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 that asking the Lord not to lead us in to be tempted, not to be lead us in, not to be lead, lead us into sin. But it actually means here, lead us not into temptation. Don't lead us into testings. It's a different word. And we need to pray that the Lord doesn't lead us into testings and to trials. And he does and he will. But I tell you, if you get into the real fire and into the real testings and into the real I'll tell you, you'll be tested. The Lord doesn't tempt you to sin. He doesn't lure you on into sin. That's the devil's work. But I tell you, when he tests us and tempts, James says that, he says, the trying of our faith worketh patience. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, the testings, and the trials, and the fiery furnace where this man Elijah is. Blessed is the man that endureth, that stands firm and stands his ground, no matter how the storm roars. Oh, it's not easy. It's not easy. Let's go back to the text in, in the 19th, First Kings chapter 19. Let us bring this text back with us to the juniper tree and take the other text down and put this one up. Let us, let us put this one up. Verse 13 of it said, here's what verse 13 of it said. Listen, bring this text back. There's no temptation taken with such as common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tested more than you're able to bear. That applies to Elijah too, you know. Because it says in that, said in that verse over there in First Corinthians that he will make a way of escape. There's a way of escape. But, behold, take the but and the behold. But God is faithful. Behold, the Lord touched him. Do you see that? Just get your eyes firmly upon that in verse 5. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise. Now I have called that the touch of faithfulness. Because God is faithful to Elijah. And he's faithful to you. And he's faithful to me. But it's not only the touch of faithfulness, it's the touch of tenderness. This word touch here is, a, is, a, is, is just a tender, compassionate touch without a word being said. Well, Isaiah tells us, a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax he shall not quench. He didn't preach at him. He didn't shout at him. He didn't read the Constitution to him. He didn't quote scripture to him. He just watched, guarded, and guided, and waited for the moment when he would feed him. And that's what he done. He fed him. And the Lord does feed us, you know. Job suffered the three bees. 
bankruptcy, bereavement, and boils. Now hold on to what I'm going to say. And I'm sure that the three counselors that came to him from afar, I'm sure because they'd heard about Job and the new one, and I'm sure that all, all of them were specialists in their own field. Well, he needed a banker. Because he had lost 7,000 sheep, 9,000 camels, 500 oxen, and 500 asses. You put 7,000 sheep on the side of a mountain, and I'll tell you, your eyes will get white. 7,000 sheep. He was the greatest farmer in the East. So I'm sure that one of these boys was one of these monetary boys. He'd have to work out that. And and then he would not. He would need. He didn't. He didn't. He he didn't needed a medical man for the with boils. He's covered with boils, and maybe one of them was a PhD, and maybe an ointment with him. Told him to rub it in three times a day, and whatever else to do. Maybe some herbal thing you'd bought with him. I don't know what had happened, but I'll tell you. I believe it's only my money speculating. I believe that there was a man for every purpose for him. These counselors were different men, the different gifts, and for bereavement, of course, he would have needed somebody with a hymn book or a prayer book or a Bible or something, a rosary beads or something. And they sat for seven days. They never opened their bag. They just sat for seven days. Well, they should have sat for 70 days because when they opened their beak, they were fools. Job says they were fools. They should have stayed quiet. You see, see what I'm trying to say? You could come to Elijah with all dirts of things and you could tell him this and you could tell him that and you could work this and you could work that and you need this and you need that and you need an injection and you need a booster after that. And you'll be all right and die. <laughs> but you can't handle a man like this. Do you know what A.W. Tozer said? A.W. Tozer said there's two kinds of, of men who know very little, know nothing. He says the first kind is the boy that never went to school. Never got any education. He's a hobo. He never, like me, never learned anything. And I did go, but he, he, this boy never went to school at all. He says the boy that never went to school, but the other boy that's a fool and an idiot, he says, and knows very little, he says the boy that stayed too long at school. Knew too much. I'd rather not go to school and stay too long at school and come out and know nothing. And that's the problem here. Friends, listen. Let's quote a, script, a scripture text. Can the Lord furnish a table in the wilderness? Yes. When the ravens fly and the brook dries, and the widow's barn is gone, and the sun's gone, and they're all gone. The Lord is there. All the material and physical helps are away. You know, oh, somebody said, why didn't he give them the manna? You see, he gave them, he fed them for... Forty years with the manna, a million and a half. And why didn't he dab a dab a manna down? Oh, well, oh, you see, oh, and this would be good if he'd give him the manna. And he'd have brought a quail in from the sea, and he could have fed him with the manna, and he could have fed him with the quail, or, or he could have clipped the rock and the water would rush out. Well, let me tell you this. Let me say this. 
He'd have had to get up and get the manna. He wasn't able to get up and get the manna. And he'd have had to cook the manna. He wasn't able to cook the manna. He would have had to put his hand up and tell me that those quails flew in, that God fed them with the knowledge. They put their hand up, they put their hand up and they caught the hold of the quail. He brought it right down to where they were and they pulled it and plucked and ate it. He wasn't able to raise his hand. And why do you think he set the water at his head? Did you notice that? He did you notice that? And he looked and behold there was a cake baking and the coals and a cruise of water at his head. He couldn't go to the rock. You see what I'm saying to you is when everything else fails, when we're not able to move, and there'll come a day when probably if he doesn't come we'll be on our day in bed and we'll need somebody to rub our lips. And God is there. God is there. He left the water at his head. So I say the faithfulness is here and the tenderness is here and the pettifulness is here. I don't know whether that's the right word, but other people invent words I can invent them to. Pettifulness. Job 6, it says, To him that is afflicted, pityness shall be shown by a friend. Isaiah says, In his pity he redeemed us. <laughs> and the one in the psalm, you know better, don't you? Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Ah, oh, he's a pitiful God. But then... There's the graciousness of God. What else could you write over this whole business of the juniper triatus other than the grace of God? Unmerited, unwarranted favor of God. He came down to where he was twice and touched him twice. Now I would have only done it the once. I tell you if I'd have brought that boy out bread and water and he took it, do you know why? He never offered one word of thanks. Did you notice that? Never showed any gratitude. Never showed any emotion. He just ate and drank and lay back to sleep again. And we're all guilty of it. Tell me this. Did you give the Lord thanks for your meal today? Did you? Well, if you didn't, you should. Take a bite of it until you thank the Lord. No gratitude, no emotion. And he touched him once, he came, he came back and he touched him again. In fact, three times. There's a third time he rebuked him, and we're not going into that part of it tonight. The third time he rebuked him when he went on that 40 days journey to the cave. He spoke to him again in the cave. He says, what doest thou hear, Elijah? You know, when we get stronger, the Lord speaks stronger. He didn't say to him when he was under the juniper, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's what I would have done. Hit him a tip. What are you up here for? No, no, no. He dealt with them tenderly and compassionately here and he deals with us tenderly and compassionately. But as he got his strength, because what, he must have got some, some feed. He must have got some powerful stuff for he went 40 days on it. Through the wilderness. 
And I often think of the journey that he took. I wonder how many thoughts came into him. That was the road that the children of Israel came out of Egypt. It wasn't far from there where the burning bush was where God met with Moses. And I say the thoughts were many when he thought of the man and the quail and the pillar of fire by day and the pillar of fire by night. He knew them all inside out, Elijah did. And he's way in and he goes from, from, from twice being touched by the Lord, mumbling and groaning, if you read it on, into a cave. Boy, I'd have left him in it. Oh, how gracious our God is. How good our God is. How long-suffering our God is. How patient he is with us. What are you doing here, Elijah? He's strengthened it up a wee bit there, you. He's challenging them now. And whenever we're weak and whenever we're young in the faith and we're not able to take things, you know, he deals gently and tenderly with us. But as we go on in life and as we go on in years and as we go on here in ministry and we go on in the house of God, I'll tell you this. He can talk strongly to us and he needs to. What doest thou here? What are you doing in this old dark, damp cave, a man like thee? What are you doing there? After me touching you and touching you and feeding you and giving you water and giving you bread and strengthening you and reviving you. Look at where you are. You had to touch him twice. Let me close with this thought. You know, I never thought of this until this evening, this afternoon. He's very like us, isn't he? Lying, dying, dead and trespassing sins. And the word of God, the gospel word came to us, the bread that speaks of the man of the word and the water that speaks of the Holy Spirit. And God came to the deserts and he came to the mountains and he came to where we are when nobody else could help us. And he brought the gospel of the word to us and he touched us and we got life, but we didn't get abundant life. We got life, and it was great for a while, and went on, and we prayed, and we praised, and we thought this was good, it was great and all, but oh, boy, boy, we got down and went back to sleep again. You back to sleep again. I'm telling you, there's a whole lot of people coming to this church, and they must have gone back to sleep again. And then he comes again and he gives the second touch. Oh, I, I remember when I got the second touch. And I'll never stop from testifying. I was ten years and I went back to sleep again very soon after. Oh, I never doubted I wasn't saved. I never doubted that I, that I was born again. I never doubted for one minute ever since in 52 years. But oh, I needed something more. I drank of the well and I'd eaten at the bread and I was, I got up and sort of up and then I just drifted along for ten years. Job, money, homes. Oh, I went to church and took the table and preached a wee bit. But oh, I tell you, 10 years in the month of September in 1982, I was in the Forest Park and I was in Market Hill there in the Rona Been there most of the day. I said, Lord, if there's nothing more than life than this, if this is all the Christian life has to offer me, that offered me job, I was out of my job, but that they offered me job to, they offered me my job back with the same the status that I had when I left, they told me that within two years, and the two years were coming up. And I says, Lord, I'm going to go back. And then the Lord that day touched me. Hallelujah, he did.
You can call it what you like. Oh, we have many, that many names on it in Northern Ireland. But I tell you, I got a fresh touch of God, an anointing of God upon my soul. And I never have been the same since. Are you living in an old carnal? You're saved and that's all you are and you're not a bit interested. Well, you are interested for you wouldn't be here in the prayer meeting, but oh, so many, so many. I need another touch. So we got the touch. We're, oh, we're, we're so like sinners, you know, and backsliders. And, and you could take this man, Elijah, and you could preach revival from it, the best you ever seen. Because he wasn't dead. He was only half dead. But when the Lord touched him, he, the second time he revived him. And he said to him, go return. Go return, he says in verse 15. Go return on your way to the wilderness. Return. Maybe there's some of you here tonight, you need to return back and give that money back. Maybe you need to return and apologize to your brother. Don't be asking for more blessings unless you do what God's telling you to do. Go back to Jezreel. Go back to where you should have never left. Oh, what a picture of the sinner. What a picture of the backslider. What a picture of the carnal, cold Christian. Oh, may God touch us and may we rise and must have been a powerful meal he got this boy. Forty days. I tell you, when we get a touch, get the right feed from God, we'll, we'll go on. And God took him out of the cave, and I would love to go on another night or two on that. I didn't speak to him when he was in the cave. Well, we talked to him when in the cave, but he had to come out to the cave. He had to come out to the cave. What are you doing there? He had to come out. Oh, we heard the thunder and the claps and the lightning, but the still, small voice he heard when he came out. You have to come out and face God. And face God. Oh, Elijah, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall, nail it over the juniper tree and walk on. No, no. But then put underneath it, God is faithful. And he'll not test you more than you can bear. He'll come. When all else fails, he'll come. My friend, that's great to know as we go on in life. As we go on in this journey of life, as he's doing the journeys up and he's down here and no, oh, we're all the same but oh it's good to know it's good to know that when we get down and weary and tired and we're about to depart this old scene of time that God will be there and take us over into victory and over into glory so don't write him off and don't write your son off and don't write your daughters off don't write your girls off don't write your, bro your sons off and your brothers off and your mother. Don't write anybody off. To write somebody off like that, to do what, to put that text, you, it's just the same after Calvary, putting the Lord into the tomb and putting the stone over the tomb and, and they walked away and they were downcast and defeated. We thought that it would be him that would save Israel. We thought it was him, but now the third day has passed. He's done. It's over. It's finished. The stone's over the wall. It's all over, but it hasn't begun. The third day hadn't ended. Two on the road to me. Oh, we thought they died the third day. It wasn't over. It's not over till it's over. And God has so much to do in our lives and in our homes and in this church. And he'll do it. 
Don't, 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 don't write it off now. He'll do it. Hold tight. He could come very suddenly. He can touch your son. He can touch your daughter now where we're speaking. I was reading of a boy the other day and he was a cursing and a swearing and he was blind and he was dark and he hated God and the people. He got up on a bar stool and he ordered a pint of beer and when it was putting it to his mouth, God spoke to him. He left it down and cried unto God to save him. That's how suddenly and how quickly it can come and that's how suddenly and how quickly revival can come. Now remember Sunday night as we go back for the last time Stephen will be here on Sunday morning, children's meeting at 7, on, on prayer meeting Saturday night at 7. So do remember these meetings. And whoever can stay with us for a time of prayer, we'll go in here, and I understand that some of you might have to go. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you tonight for your precious word laid so clearly upon our hearts. Oh God, let us take from this, Lord, Father, we may be in testings, there may be some in trials, there may be some in the storms tonight, but you will not tempt them or test them more than they can bear, more than they're able. You won't do it, Lord, because you make a way of escape. (laughs) A way of escape. You know the way to escape. Lord, you made a way of escape for Elijah out in the mountain. No, we praise you and we bless you, Lord. O oh God, that you did raise this man up and you mightily used him to face a to face Ahab and to uh, recommission, to commission those kings and to touch Elisha and carry the mantle on. Glory to God and bring him back to the Mount of Transfiguration. Hallelujah. And one day we're going to see him as we see the Lord in the glory. And I'm sure he'll thank God for the juniper tree. Amen and amen.